Hey, how are you? Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, team. Uh, well, good morning, church. How are you? Good. Listen, uh, I know a lot of you guys are new to the church, if not in the past few months, certainly over the past year. Uh, and you might be looking at the set going, what have y'all done? Uh, listen, VBS is a huge thing for us here at Double Oak. I mean, we've had folks here all week long putting all of this together. We have well over 100 volunteers. That's a lot of y'all who are going to be here all week because we have well over 300 students who will be with you, kids from all over the area. Many of them are ours, but a lot of them are not who are saying, hey, we're going to get a chance to pour into them for a week of VBS. And so look, we pour a lot of time and effort into it because we know this is such a unique opportunity to pour into not just our kids, but kids in the area. So I hope that you'll be praying uh, for all of them this week. Uh, and look, we've been doing a lot of praying. I'll route to yet again, but we have yet another mission trip uh, to commission as they head out. We've already commissioned our students who've gone out. Uh, the Choctaw mission trip has gone out, but we're sending a team to Romania this week. And I actually get to be a part of this one. So you'll be praying for me too. Uh, but let me invite anybody from the Romania team. If you're here to go and come on up, I see the worst and Ashley, uh, Audrey, come on up. Uh, anybody else? There we go. The Chuns are here. Uh, so come on up. Uh, Olivia, great too. Uh, and Hunter, yeah, come on. Uh, you guys come on up right over here if you would. Uh, we had a couple of us in the first service and a couple will be joining us on the road. Uh, but look, smaller team, we're heading over to Romania to put on a youth camp. Uh, so we're gonna be doing our own youth camp, uh, doing preaching, recreation, Bible study, teaching. It's gonna be great. We got almost 100 students from Romania uh, and Moldova uh, who'll be joining us there. Uh, so be praying for us as we head out to do that long trip there. Uh, but man, I I'm so excited to get back and see folks that we've been partnering with for years and years. So uh, as you look up at the names of the people up on the list, you might see some familiar faces here uh, in front of you. I want you to just grab one of those names, grab one of those faces, or maybe even also in addition to that, want to think about somebody who's going to be volunteering for VBS this week. Maybe you have your kids coming, neighbor's kids, uh, kids from the neighborhood who are coming. Uh, listen, get all of those folks in their mind and let's ask the Lord to do some powerful, incredible things this week. All right, let's bow our heads as we pray. Heavenly Father, what a joy that you invite us to join with you in what you are doing in building your kingdom. And Lord, we offer you all of our gifts and abilities, Lord, specifically all the people standing in front of you, the, ones who, who, the rest of us who will be on this trip, Lord, as we head across an ocean to spread your gospel. Lord, we don't bring anything special with us, we just bring you. Uh, and so we ask you to do what we cannot with our own bare abilities. Would you take us, Father, to, and use us in very particular ways to, to give us favor with students, uh, to open up our, our mouths, our hearts, that we might pour out your truth, your gospel, your love for people who desperately need to hear you. Father, we pray a blessing on this camp. Father, not just for safety and for travel, uh, but God, just for an open door for the gospel that you would protect this time. You'll be preparing these students and also the teachers there as well who will be partnering with us to help us. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come through this trip and we offer all of it to you. Lord, in addition, we lift up all of VBS that'll be happening on our campus this week. Father, the hundreds of kids who will come and fellowship with us. Uh, Father, whether you, this is the week you help them come to know you for the very first time or take them on another step in their faith journey. Uh, Lord, I pray a blessing on every one of those kids. Lord, as they come on this campus, uh, that they would feel and receive your love, your acceptance, uh, your joy and life just poured out over them. Lord, I lift up all of the volunteers, the ones who've already done so much work in preparing, but the ones who will do so much work over the course of this week. God, we do pray for safety. We do pray for protection. 
But we pray more, more than anything that you would use all of our gifts and abilities to do more than anything we could do on our own, more than we could ask or imagine. And Lord, as kids come to faith in you, as they grow in their walk with you, we will give you all the glory for it. But thank you for the opportunity of joining you in your work, both here and abroad. We love you. And it's in your name we pray. We all said, amen. Amen. All right, thank you guys. See you all Thursday. It's gonna be great. Uh, Hey, grab your Bibles if you will. Uh, Let's go to uh, Ephesians chapter five, verse 21. Ephesians 5, 21 uh, is where we're gonna be in just a moment. Uh, And while you're turning there, let me also say a a quick thank you. I have been out of town all week. I was in Colorado preaching at a a student life camp all this week. You guys give me the opportunity to go out and still do some youth events, which I always appreciate. Uh, But I got to see see the Lord do some really amazing things. Talked with a lot of students. uh, But honestly, it was really powerful in our invitation times. Uh, We saw over over 30 students give their life to the Lord this week uh, for the very first time, which was awesome. I talked to another student uh, who feels a call to ministry, didn't even give an invitation for that, was just responding uh, to the Lord moving in his life. It was powerful just for me to watch what the Lord is doing. So and our students got to experience that at their camp. I got to see it this past week. Uh, man, I hope you'll continue to pray uh, for those opportunities uh, as they come up. Uh, Ephesians 5 verse 21 is where we'll be in just one second. Uh, while you're turning there, uh, we did, Alice and I did an interesting thing a few years ago for our anniversary. Uh, we were trying to think of something fun to do. You know, anniversaries, they tend to pile up, right? And you have to find some different things to do. So we decided it might be fun for us uh, to try to uh, escape from an escape room. You ever done one of these before? Uh, these have been around for a while now, and there's all the different like names of them. The art was what was called like locked in. And if you don't know the concept, uh, the, you basically have these rooms, and they're all themed. There's like a story, uh, but they're filled with all these puzzles. Uh, and so you go in there with your, your team or whoever you have. We've actually done this with our staff before. Uh, but you put everybody in this room, and then you lock the door behind them, and you have one hour to get out. Right? And so you, there's all these different puzzles and different things and you have to work together to hopefully within the time limit get out. And we had a lot of fun doing this a little while back. Now some of you are thinking, man, you guys are, are weird. Like I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I would do that on my anniversary because honestly, that just kind of feels like marriage where I'm trapped in a room and I can't get out. But, but no, we actually had a lot of fun. It really was. It was a blast. Uh, look, if you've met Allison, uh, Allison and I are very different. Uh, but man, we make a great team. And it was kind of fun to see, hey, can we do this uh, together? Because I love puzzles. And so I jumped in at this. And some were very easy, but some I just could not get at all. Uh, but she sees things very differently than I do. So she really jumped in and saw stuff I would never have seen, to, uh, certainly not in the time frame. And so together, we really worked together. And between a couple hints and, and each other, we, we actually got out in under an hour. And it was exciting. Uh, and look, there were a couple moments, I will not lie. Uh, there were a couple moments of tension. You know, you're on a talk and you're and kind of in this little pressure cooker of a room. Uh, but man, it was, it was a great picture to see just the differences between the two of us, but also how God brought us together in those differences to do something together uh, that honestly was filled with a lot of joy and a lot of fun. And look, that's what God does in our marriages, does he not? He takes two very different people who are complementary and he puts them together and says, hey, together, united, I want to do something very unique uh, between the two of you. But in that uniqueness, there is a difference between a husband and a wife that's actually very important. And as we round out our series on the secret of marriage, we wanna make sure that we look at that here today. 
Uh, now look, we, hopefully at this point, you understand the secret of marriage. Uh, you also understand that we have not covered everything. You can't, right? In eight weeks, you can't cover marriage, right? I couldn't cover that in 80 weeks, right? But at least now we know the secret. The secret is that marriage is about the gospel, right? It's not just this partnership that we created, God invented it and built it into our society because he said, look, I want to show you a picture of Christ and the church. Uh, This is how Christ, the bridegroom, loves his bride. That's all of us who are his believers, right? And so as we live in our marriages, we learn about the gospel. We learn about him. But then furthermore, we can look to the gospel to understand our marriage. And as we look to how Christ loves us and how we love Christ, okay, that actually helps me live out my life in a marriage, okay? So we looked at the gospel to help us understand our marriage, but there are differences for wives and husbands in the midst of that. So let's look at Ephesians chapter five, starting at verse 21, and look at what it says. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, so here we see that the Lord gives us different roles in marriage as husbands and wives. And we're going to be looking at that today. But before we do that, why don't we all just take a deep breath? How about that, okay? Just, woo, all right, let that out, right? Because let's be honest, some of you are already like going, are we really doing this? Are we going to talk about this? I can't believe it, dude, it's the 21st century. You can't talk about passages like that, Adam. We live in a crazy culture. I mean, look, I just kind of thought we left this kind of stuff behind. And look, we're already in the sermon, just by reading the passage, you might find yourself offended. Because look, I, I don't know how you grow up, but I know the culture that we're in now. And the, the culture says, hey, listen, you can make marriage exactly what you want it to be. Adam, these, these ideas are antiquated. You don't have to be beholden to these anymore. In fact, they might even be dangerous for us. We have obliterated gender. You can now make marriage between uh, whatever gender you want it to be. You can make it with as many number of people that you want it to be. Uh, you don't even have to get married. It's not even all that important. In fact, we can just kind of take gender out of the equation, period. This is what our culture is saying about marriage but as believers in Christ that is not what we believe we don't take our cues from the culture we take our cues from the Lord Jesus Christ and we take our cues from his word and so the world gets to believe whatever they want to believe but as believers in Jesus Christ we look to his words and so yes we're going to look at the passage that we have to look at today Uh, but look there's there's a couple things we need to recognize as we begin this entire discussion the first one is this is that gender matters 
It matters what gender you are. I know what the culture is saying. The culture is saying that gender is a social construct, that just within the past couple years, we invented this idea of gender. I can't tell you how ludicrous that idea is. Because look, right here, you see Paul quoting Genesis. Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible. It's thousands of years old. God baked this into humanity. I made them male and female. This didn't happen a couple hundred years ago. This happened thousands of years ago when God invented us. And he said, hey, listen, your gender matters. I made you male and female on purpose. If you try to ignore that, if you try to say, nope, I can make my gender fluid. Nope, I can invent my own. It really doesn't matter. I can can say, I, I can have a new kind of gender. Okay, you have ignored a fundamental part of our identity. And certainly when you bring that into marriage, you can ruin your marriage if you try to say, nope, 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 you can just have same gender marriage. Nope, 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 you can have multiple people in your marriage. Nope, 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 you can have just whatever roles you want. Just reinvent it as you like. Okay, listen, that's really doing damage to what God has invented for us and what he intends for us. And so look, we don't get that option as believers just to kind of uh, change this as we like. Here's the second thing. Remember the mystery. Remember the mystery. Marriage is about the gospel. This is another reason that you can't change that. This is why the complementarity between a man and a woman is important. Between a husband and a wife is important. Why? Because it's a picture of the gospel between Christ and his church. And guess what? Those are not the same. They're beautiful, but they're different. And God says in the same way, Christ comes to his church. Listen, you have a husband and a wife. They are different. They are meant to be complementary. Remember what we said a couple weeks ago about the, the helper that God brings to us. This is not the person who comes alongside. This is the person in front of you. All right, so this person is different. Now you are united. You are made as one, but you are different and you bring different things to the table. Things that are both necessary and needed, but they are different. So if we remember this mystery that marriage is about the gospel, then I don't get the right to just reorganize it how I want. That complementarity between a man and a woman is actually incredibly important. Then thirdly, we need to remember the Trinity. Hunter mentioned this. Uh, in fact, I, that's what I was doing all week. You guys got to hear about the Trinity at your camp. I was preaching about the Trinity this week. I preached eight sermons on the Trinity all this past week. Uh, and we're not going to get into that today, but, but it just suffices to say, when you look inside the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this is a union of love. Not primarily of power, but of love. The Father loves the Son. Son loves the Spirit who loves the Father who loves the Spirit who loves the Son. There is this union of love inside the Godhead. This is why God is love. And so when he gives us this picture of marriage as a picture between Christ and the church, all right, we need to be thinking in terms of love and not primarily in terms of power. And that's really going to help us to understand all these things. All right, so now as we begin to jump into the text, let me give you three overarching principles that help us understand the text that we just read. Three things that we need to keep in mind if we're going to really interpret this thing correctly. All right, the first one is this. It all starts with our submission to Christ. It all starts with our submission to Christ. Look at verse 21 and notice what it says. In verse 21, it says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Then we get into wives and husbands. Now in your text, just like in mine, uh, it might have a little break there as if there was a, a break in the structure and that's actually not there in the Greek. Verse 21 is crucial and key to understanding this whole passage. Verse 21 acts like a hinge in between everything that's come before and everything that's coming after. And you can actually see this in the Greek. So let's kick back up to verse 18 for just a second. Ephesians 5, verse 18, notice what it says. It says, and don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but instead be filled with the Spirit. All right, so Paul's advocating here. I want you to lead a Spirit-filled life. I want you to be filled with the Spirit. And then he gives us five ways of doing that. There are five verbs that follow that statement and they're all in the same tense. So if you were reading this in the Greek, you would see this like a straight list. Okay, how do you lead a spirit-filled life? Five verbs that tell us how to do that. And you can see them there. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always. And then verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. These are five ways of leading a spirit-filled life. And so submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ is one of the ways that you lead a spirit-filled life. And it's only when you understand that that we get into our specific roles. Because once you get into verse 22, he says, okay, how do you submit to one another out of reverence for Christ? And that's where you get wives, husbands, parents, children. You get all these different things. But you can tell it's a hinge because in verse 22, look what it says there. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. That word submit is not in the text. It's not there. It is assumed from verse 21. Quite literally, you cannot understand verse 22 without looking at verse 21 because there's no verb in it. It doesn't make any sense. So before we ever get into our individual roles, we have to recognize this all starts with our prior submission to Jesus Christ. All of us as believers have said, listen, I submit to the bridegroom. We as the bride, we submit to the bridegroom. We submit to Jesus Christ. But now let's define our terms. There's two important words in verse 21. The first one is submit. That word is hupotasso in the Greek. And even though there's been a lot of debate on this over the years, I remember even in seminary doing exegetical papers on this work. Look, a lot of ink spilled on this. But when you look at this word, the main place it is used is in a military context where you have an order of authority. And if somebody outranks you, then they have authority over you. So to submit to somebody is to say, yes, this person has proper authority and therefore I'm going to follow them. That's what the word means. And we really can't get out of that because uh, if you look later on, uh, it, says, it says this, verse 24. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should also submit to their husbands in everything, all right? So that's how we submit to Christ too. He has authority over us. So the word does mean to submit. Here's the second word that's important. It's the word reverence. In the Greek, this is the word for fear. But this is not phobia fear. This is not scared fear. This is not horror fear. This is uh, respect. This is honor. This is reverence, all right? You can't stop at just respect, by the way. Respect is helpful, but you gotta get beyond that. It's not simply I respect you. No, there's a recognition of the power and the dignity and the authority of the person who we are revering. So we do that with the Lord. We, we recognize his, his power and his majesty. So there's, there's some, a proper amount of reverence 
uh, here that goes along with that. So before we ever get anywhere else, we recognize whatever we're being asked to do, this all has its grounding in our reverence for Christ and in our submission to Christ. Wives, husbands, anybody, all of it flows from our submission to Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Now look, let's be real honest. This is one of those verses that gets abused. This is one of those verses that you read and we recognize as Adam, I'm a little scared of that because this is one of those kind of verses. If you let the wrong kind of person read that, they're gonna take that and, and run away with it. And, and look, there are too many stories about, uh, about abusive husbands or domineering husbands or chauvinistic husbands, uh, people who have taken a verse like this and used it out of context. And there's absolutely no place for that here. That is an abuse of this text. You cannot look at a verse like this and say, yes, you have the right to domineer and be chauvinistic and do abuse because that's not how Jesus treats us. There's no way, you, you cannot use this in that context, but there's a second way you can abuse this. And the second way you, you abuse this text is this way, where you just say, I just don't want to believe that one. You know what? Just not going to believe that part of the Bible. Just don't want to do it. I don't buy it. I, I believe differently. I just want to kind of move on. So I think... We're just not gonna listen to that verse anymore. Okay, that's also an abuse of the text because now who is the authority in your life? You are. Because you are deciding you have the role to right to say, I like this and I don't like that. I'll believe this and I won't believe that. I'll submit here and I won't submit there. You're now saying, that's not reverence. That's not recognition of the Lord and his word, the Lord and his power, the Lord and his wisdom and his truth. And so while we also, we can't use this to abuse or domineer, you also can't ignore this because that's just another form of abuse and we can't do that. But everything has its grounding in our prior submission to Jesus. Here's the second thing we need to understand. This verse is about Christian marriage alone. This verse is about Christian marriage alone. Alone. This is a passage talking to Christian wives and Christian husbands, period. It is not talking about all women and all men. So look at the verse and notice what it says. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands. That word for own is there in the Greek. He's being incredibly specific. He is not saying women be subject to men. That's not there. You do not see it in the text. That would also be an abuse of the text. Please don't blow this up outside of what we're talking about here. Paul is talking to Christian households. He's talking to Christian wives and Christian husbands. of like, hey, here's how you were to act within this marriage. This verse has nothing to say about women's contributions to science, art, work, all the things that they do out into the world that God has given them all kinds of gifts and abilities for he is specifically talking about the roles within a Christian marriage. And so look, again, the world can do what it wants to do. But for us in the church, we're going to follow after the Lord. But please don't blow that up any farther than it's supposed to be. Here's the third guiding principle we need to understand. All submission and sacrifice is voluntary. All submission and sacrifice is voluntary. Jesus is calling and commanding us to submit and to sacrifice. But here's a great thing about walking with Jesus Christ. He never forces you to do that. You ever notice that? He doesn't force you to do that. You realize that God has the power to force us to obey. At any moment, Jesus can say this. Every knee is gonna bow and every tongue is gonna confess that Jesus is Lord right now. Boom, we'd all be on our knees. And you couldn't stop it. 
because he's God. He has the power to do so, and yet he never does. What Jesus does is, is he chases after us, he loves us, he sacrifices for us, and then he calls us to voluntarily surrender to him. He will never force you to do so. So when we're talking about submission and sacrifice, this is never something that is imposed on somebody else. This is something that we choose to do voluntarily. Anytime you flip it and you start trying to force your spouse to do what you think they ought to do, you have instantly stepped out of the example of Christ. Instead, we have callings to us individually to respond from the places that we find ourselves. But all submission and sacrifice is voluntary. It is never forced and is never coerced. So now, with those guiding principles all in place, let's very quickly then look at the different roles for wives and husbands. So now let's look at verse 22. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. All right, again, we might need to take another deep breath, okay? Because look, this, that's a hard passage, especially if you're a wife. You're sitting there reading that. And even for all of us, we read a verse like that and instantly all the horror stories of the worst husbands imaginable come to mind. If you've ever seen a Lifetime movie, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> There's too many stories, right? You say, Adam, but I have heard horror stories. You can't just give that kind of power to a, a husband. I mean, you don't know the kind of horrors that can follow from that. And we got all these stories and all these terrible things. And if it happened, we're going to hear about it. We got all these things. So Adam, I'm really nervous about this kind of thing. You can't just say that because what if it gets abused? Furthermore, this offends our sensibilities as Americans. Because an American, we got a flag, Americans, <laughs> we don't bother to eat anybody. Listen, I don't submit to anybody. I may like to do something, and I will if I want to, but I don't bow the knee to anybody. It offends my American sensibilities to say I should submit to somebody else. And some of you wives in the room would just look at me and say, have you met my husband? Would you submit to that guy? I mean, look at him. Talk to him. Come live in my house. You wouldn't submit to that guy. Adam, what are you telling me? I got to submit to my husband. What are you possibly telling me? And look, this is hard for us, but look at what you're being asked to do. What Christian wives are being asked to do is we are being asked to act like the church. Christian wives are being asked to act like the church. Remember, in the picture of the gospel, there's the bridegroom, that's Jesus, okay? And then there's the church, that's us. And so as the church responds to Christ, that's how wives are to respond to their husbands. Now again, wives are gonna say, Adam, I'm with you on the Jesus thing, but I got news for you. My husband is not Jesus. He's not. Jesus is perfect. My husband is not. Jesus never makes mistakes. My husband does. Jesus loves me perfectly. My husband loves me, but not perfectly. Listen, and so I got a problem here. How am I supposed to do that? Yes, please don't understand. We're not trying to make husbands any more than they are. We're going to get to them in just a second. Instead, wives are asked to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. This is the, the place that God has put us and said, hey, listen, this does not make you lesser. This doesn't make you different. It is simply the different roles that God puts inside of marriage. And remember, he's still making you one. 
This is not saying you have to be on the sidelines or you have to be a, a lesser party here. You are always one with your husband. But as we live out these roles, the Bible says here to wives, we are to submit to our husbands. Now, one of the reasons that makes us upset, though, is because, Adam, it does make it sound, though, like, like the husbands are more important or is that the husbands are better in some way, and that is in no way the case. There is absolutely no difference in equality or dignity between a man and a woman or a husband and a wife. Instead, what you're seeing here is a positional difference in authority, but that has nothing to do with our equality within the marriage or our equality as people. Instead, we look to Jesus who ends up doing, well, something very similar. If we, did, we read beyond our passage, you would read the next one. After he talks about wives and husbands, he'll talk about children and parents. And Jesus actually has a lot to say here because Jesus is a son to a father. So Jesus, even though he is perfect and even though he is equal with God, he is God, also submits because that is the role that he finds himself in. Let me show you this in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Uh, listen to what Paul says here. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. That word can be also translated exploited. Uh, but he empties himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, note that word, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, this is interesting. Go back to the first slide. In verse six, look what it says. He's in the form of God, but doesn't count equality with God a thing to be exploited. He is God. He is equal with God. He is the one true God, Father, Son, and Spirit. But the Father sends his Son to save us, and the Son is obedient. He's equal in dignity, equal in value and essence, but he has a different role. And so he is obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So how then does the Father react when his Son is obedient? Does he say, well, that's exactly right. That's what you should be doing, man. I'm glad you're being a good example, but you should be obedient. I'm the father for crying out loud. Well, that's not how he responds. Look at the next phrase. Therefore, God has highly exalted Jesus, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and on the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. What does the father do? He glorifies the son. He lifts the son up. He's been obedient, but he's going to exalt the son and lift him up. He loves to glorify the son. And then what does the son do? Response, well, it's about time you saw the things I do around here. Well, it's about time you did that. No, look what the son does. He turns around and says, this glorifies the father. The father sent me and I did everything he said to do. And now I glorify him. Do you see what's happening here? It is never said in all of scripture that the father submits to the son ever. Ever. Jesus often says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. I only go where the Father tells me to go. I only say what the Father tells me to say. 
But this is not a power differential. It's simply a difference in role. And what happens is the father loves the son. The son loves the father. The father glorifies the son. The son glorifies the father. They have this mutual bond of love that is happening here. Even though they do different things and they inhabit different roles, they are completely and perfectly one and they're completely and perfectly equal. And so even though here it's saying, wives, submit to your husbands, this isn't saying anything about our equality. Simply because somebody has a different positional authority doesn't make them unequal from you. That, that ought to make sense, right, to us. We understand that. Simply because somebody has a positional authority doesn't mean they have better authority. Think about this. We've had 45 different men serve as president of the United States of America. 45 different men out of the hundreds of millions, if not a couple billion Americans who have lived in the existence of our thing. Only 45 men out of the couple billion Americans. Would we say that it's true that those 45 men were better than all of those 2 billion Americans? No. Just take a look at the last two. These are not the better than everybody else, I promise you. Look, you, you can't say that. They simply have a role and an authority. Think about employers and employees. Some of you guys have been both. You've been an employee and then you're an employer. If you're an employer, does that make you better than an employee? Absolutely not. You simply have a positional authority for a particular place and in a particular time. You're not better or worse. Look at elders of a church. Look, I serve as an elder here with other elders here at the church. Man, but that doesn't make us better than any believer in the church. We have authority and there's power that goes with that, but, but that doesn't make us any better for the time that God puts us in that role. Positional authority doesn't say anything about our equality. We simply have a role to play at a different point in time. And so wives are being asked here to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And remember, go back to verse 21. He said, Adam, I find a hard time doing that. Uh, my husband is not perfect. My husband doesn't do these things. I, I understand that. But remember, you're not ultimately submitting to your husband. You're submitting to Jesus Christ who asks you to do this. Regardless of what kind of marriage you find yourself in, regardless of you, who your husband is, the Lord says, hey, listen, you're submitting first and foremost to me. I, I will help you. I will work, uh, work through you, but you submit first and foremost to me. Then yes, within the marriage, there ought to be a submission to your husband. But look, let, let's get real honest here. All right, remember, the Lord is making us one. He's not making you two in a power gradient. He's making you one. And so in any Christ-centered marriage where God gives you this person to help you, he says, no, listen, only together can you actually fulfill this task. Only together can you actually fulfill my purpose. There ought to be a ton of give and take. There's going to be a lot of deference to one another. There's going to be a recognition of the unique giftings of the other and the recognition that together you're always better than you are by yourself. If you're ignoring your husband or your wife, listen, you do so at your peril. In almost every single situation, you ought to be a team. You're working together and moving in tandem. But yes, if there's an impasse for some sort of a reason, if there's an impasse and you cannot agree, I would counsel that you continue to pray and work through it. But if a decision has to be made, yes, husbands, you are to take the lead. You are the head of your household. But if that's happening often, you have a deeper issue. 
If you're getting to those kind of situations, often we have another problem somewhere in the marriage. It should never be the case where the husband is simply doling out uh, leadership without any input from his wife. That is not what is being asked for here. But there must be a recognition that, yes, wives, you submit to your husbands. But there's an interesting thing here. Uh, the way God has built us and what he's doing here. Uh, when you look at different authors who talk about marriage and different uh, people who study this, uh, what m- uh, many authors have said, and a lot of researchers and counselors would agree, uh, is this, the number one desire of a man's heart, think about this, and just kind of get it in your head. What do you think the number one desire of a man's heart is? It is not sex. It is not food. It is respect. The number one desire of a man's heart is the respect of his wife. Number one desire. You take that away and you're going to start destroying your marriage. Ladies, do you see now why contempt is so unbelievably dangerous? Because when you constantly disrespect your husband, you go out of your way to not show respect or, or, or approval, but you go out of your way to show disapproval and disrespect, you literally begin to erode the heart of your marriage because that's kind of what he needs the most. And so here the Lord gives an opportunity to say, hey, listen, I know this person isn't perfect. I'm not going to pretend that they are. But out of reverence to the Lord, I can choose to say, I'm going to submit to my husband out of reverence for Christ. But husbands, we need to talk about you as well. So look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, it's interesting here that you do not see an identical, um, identical submission. If this were just mutual submission, you would see an identical charge. You would say, wives do this, husbands do the exact same thing. But because husbands and wives are different, you see a different challenge here. In the same way that Christ and his church are different, we have different roles to fulfill. And so the challenge here to husbands is slightly different. And the challenge to husbands is this. Husbands, you are to lay down your life for your spouse. You are to lay down your life for your wife because that's what Jesus does for us. When Jesus sees us struggling, he doesn't say, well, I hope it works out for you. I hope you get your act together. Maybe if this works out for me, I'll help you. No, what Jesus does is he empties himself of everything and then he dies for us. Husbands, what you are being asked to do is to act like Jesus towards your wife, which means this, you lay down your entire life. When I do weddings, I typically preach out of this passage. And I make sure when I I hear it, I talk to husbands, I I make note of this. If you're being asked to act like Jesus and laying down your life for your spouse, for your wife rather, and I say, listen, and I I love saying this, and I think it's it's important, this is going to be the highest honor and the hardest task of your entire life to constantly and specifically ignore your desires to take care of your wife to say no to your own will, 
to say yes to take care of your wife, to say no to what you want to make sure you provide for, take care of, protect, and serve your wife. Why? Because that's what Jesus does for us. And that's how we are to act. Now look, uh, let's just stop here for just a second uh, because look, I'm sure there's still some ladies in the room. So Adam, okay, listen, I get what you're doing here uh, and you're trying to make it sound okay here, but what it really sounds like you're doing is uh, you're just kind of prettying this thing up uh, and here's why I can't go along with that because at the end of the day, you're still leaving men in power and if you leave men in power, bad things are gonna happen and I can't have that. And and so I know you're trying to make it sound great, but I, I still can't get on board with that. And look, again, We cannot paper over and we don't want to gloss over the fact that it is verses like this that have been abused by weak men in being overbearing and domineering to their wives or stupid men who have shouted down their wives. I say stupid on purpose, by the way, because when you start shouting to make your point, you're not really making a good point. You're just trying to intimidate people into doing something. That's not a rational argument, all right? If you're using your position by power to domineer somebody, uh, okay, yes, that's not at all what God is asking for. Here's the problem, though. We're not going to ignore that, but here's the problem with that kind of thinking. You're, You're thinking about marriage as a power struggle, and that's a wrong way of thinking about it. When you think that way about marriage, you're thinking about marriage as a power struggle, And that's not how God thinks about marriage. If you are thinking about your marriage as like who's in control, who gets to make decisions, who's doing all these things, you're sooner or later gonna get into a fight that neither of you will win. When the Lord thinks about marriage, he is not thinking primarily in terms of power. He's thinking in terms of love and service. How do we know that? Because look at how Jesus talks about authority and power. This is Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. Jesus calls his disciples to him and says this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and the great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant and whoever be first among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? When he thinks about his own power, his own authority, and he has all of it, he is not using it in a domineering fashion or to demand things. And he says, no, I didn't come here to be served. I came here to serve. I didn't come to lord it over people. Instead, I come as a servant so much so that I will give my life as a ransom for many. Husbands, you are not being called to exercise authority. You are being called to be a servant leader. That is the call of Jesus Christ. That is what it means to be a godly husband. The people of the world, I'm sure that they would take a power like this and abuse it. But for us here as members of Jesus Christ, as children of Jesus Christ, what we are called to do as Christian husbands is to literally sacrifice ourselves for the good, for the betterment, for the glorification, for the sanctification of our wives and then ultimately our children as well. This is what Christ is calling us to do. And look, this is radical, by the way. If you're looking at this test, Adam, this is so old-fashioned. I can't believe that we'll be saying things like this in the 21st century. You need to understand how radical this is during this time. No one is saying this. 
back then. No one is telling husbands that they should give up their lives for their wives. No one says this. You don't even see this in the Old Testament. You don't see it in rabbinic literature. Harold Honer, who's an Old Testament commentator on this, he says, you you certainly don't see this in the Roman household codes because there were lots of them, little codes like this of how wives and husbands and children and parents are supposed to act. No one is saying, husbands, lay down everything for the sake of your wife. This is radical in its time. And it's still radical today. Husbands, you are being called to serve and to love and to give because that's what Jesus does for us. And the primary way you live out headship is not through the exercising of authority. It is through the love and service that you give. And so questions, husbands, is there any place in your marriage where you are domineering, where you're demanding your way? where you're just assuming you've got some sort of a trump card that you get to use in your marriage. That is not love, that's the abuse of power. Is there any way in that which you talk to your wife, that you treat your wife, or you think about her needs or her desires, where you put your own needs ahead of hers? You put your own way ahead of hers. That is an abuse of your authority, of the headship that God gives you. Instead, when your wife thinks about you, she ought to say, it is amazing to me that I am so loved and so served that my husband would literally lay down his life for me in any way that is called for. Is that the way that your wife sees you? Is that the way that she thinks about you? Because that is what is asked of to be a godly husband. You never abuse your authority. But let me say the flip side of that because there's a different problem I see in our generation today. And it's not always the abuse of the authority. It's the abdication of authority. Because there's other men who say, Adam, I'm so scared of abusing it. I'm not gonna lead at all. I'm so scared of abusing that thing. I don't wanna say anything. Yet whatever you want, it's all fine. I'm not gonna do anything. Let's all just be, we're not gonna do anything at all. No leadership, I don't want any power. Let's not do anything. I'm so scared of abusing the power that I just abdicate authority. And we have marriages and families that are floundering because fathers and husbands refuse to stand up and lead. And for some of you, it's time to grow up. It's time for you to recognize God has given you a position. You don't deserve it, but you have it. And the Lord is asking you to live like Jesus Christ. And yes, that means leading. You are the head of the household and you will be judged accordingly by Jesus Christ. God's gonna ask you, how did you lead your life? And did you love your wife and your kids like I love the church? This is what God is calling godly husbands to live like. Now look, at the end of the day, he brings both of them together and he says, listen, when, when a wife is willing to submit to her husband and say, listen, regardless of how he acts, I'm gonna treat him with respect. Why? Because I treat Christ first and foremost with respect. When a husband says, listen, regardless of whether my wife gives me that respect, regardless of how she acts, regardless of she, she treats me, uh, whatever she does in the way she treats me, I will submit, I will serve and sacrifice and do whatever I have to do. What, what you find out is, is that this just kind of draws everybody together. But if you say, Adam, I can't do that. Furthermore, don't want to do that. Uh, And I'm not going to do that until they start first. Well, good luck with that. Because you're in a standoff. And that standoff's not going to end well. Why? Because you're treating it like a power struggle. You go first and then maybe I'll go. You get better and then maybe I'll treat you better. It it doesn't work that way in the kingdom. Why? Because Jesus loves us when we don't deserve it. Jesus gives us grace when we don't deserve it. So instead of saying you first in a marriage, what if we all said me first? Me first. Regardless of whether they change their behavior or not, I'll change mine. 
Regardless of how they treat me, I will change the way I treat them. Because remember, I'm first and foremost submitting to Jesus Christ. This is the place he has put me. And so it doesn't matter how I am treated. I am going to live out this role as Christ asked me to do so. And when you do that, the most amazing thing happens. You find yourself being healed and drawn closer together. And then you become a beacon to your spouse, to this church, and to the wider world of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You show everybody the secret of marriage when we all fulfill the roles that God has given to us. So do this for me. Bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. With heads bowed and eyes closed, look, I, I, I know we haven't covered everything. We could talk for weeks just on this one topic. And I'm sure many of you have questions. You're just like, yeah, but Adam, what about this? And what about that? And, and what about this situation? What about what's going on here? And, and look, I'm sure all of those are very valid concerns. They really are. And I don't have answers for all of them. But I know Jesus does. He is the inventor of marriage. He's the sustainer of marriage. And he can equip us to enjoy our marriage as we love, serve, and submit in all the ways that God asks us to. But remember, that doesn't start with your spouse. It starts with you. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your wife. Pray for your husband. But it all starts with you where you can say, Father, regardless of the way uh, my, my wife or husband is acting, Lord, I choose to obey you first and foremost. Would you show me how to live as you would have me to live in this role? Would you show me how to honor you as I live in this role? And the amazing supernatural power of God through the Holy Spirit who has bound you together with your spouse will help you live that out to the glory of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, our one true God. And so, Father, thank you. To all of us who are married, Father, we thank you for the gift of marriage. But Lord, we can't do it. Anybody who's married any length of time, we, we will all admit we cannot do this on our own. We just don't have it in us to do that, but, but you do. And so Lord, instead of taking our cues from culture or our upbringing or society or, or anything else, Lord, could you help us to take our cue from you and to follow after you, to submit first and foremost to you that you might equip us to do something supernatural, to become one with somebody so different from us. That's what you, you're doing with us as a church, but God, we can't do that either. You're doing that. And so we ask that you would do that with our marriages. Father, I want to lift up every marriage and, and any problem or strife that we don't see, but they feel acutely. God, could you lift that and just help them with each of these issues? For those who are unmarried and looking to be married, Father, could you just solidify in our minds just kind of what a marriage can and should look like and what we're looking for? Lord, for happy marriages, I pray you would take them on from strength to strength, that they might continue to be a beacon and a, just a mirror of the amazing gospel you've given to us. God, thank you for the gift of our spouses. We pray a blessing on the marriages that you give us. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray.